0: well uh, i don't I don't regret it I'll just say I don't regret getting a shot um, you know and um, uh, I like what you said about trusting the Lord yeah I mean that's that's all I can do you know uh, and um, you know you talk about you know God didn't give us uh, God didn't you know, the, the confusion and that's not coming from God and I I believe that and um, would I go so far as to say that the COVID thing is, is specifically uh, satanic? I don't know. I wouldn't say that necessarily because um, I, I just don't think that, that that's not time, it's not time for that yet. No. It's not time for that yet. That will come a time in the beginning part of the tribulation. It, uh, you know, There's all kinds of things that happen. Uh, Satan will have control of the earth and so on and maybe he does now some people could argue I don't know I just I just know that we need to look at 1st Corinthians or 2nd Corinthians (laughs) So uh, so you got got your hand out there hello for anybody that's watching the video Um, Got your hand out and uh, just want to mention that youth camp is coming up uh, on the on August 2nd that's the first week of August so they are, uh, just be me a prayer for that because, you know, they're facing the same thing. They've had some attrition for the same discussion that we just had, you know, and uh, there's three churches involved, and so um, there's a lot of kids, but then there's a lot of kids that aren't going out, I and mean, it's just a time frame when school's starting and everything is going on, that. but just pray that whatever, whatever God allows to happen would be a, a blessed time for those kids and for those, those counselors. Um, if you want to help, if you want to be a part of it, you can talk to Luke. I'm sure Luke could, could use some help. Um, thanks to those. I don't know. Uh, um, the church got cleaned Thursday. A couple people came in uh, and um, just knocked it out. So we didn't have to clean this weekend. So praise the Lord for that. I'm thankful because I was pretty tired. Uh, so that got done. Men's breakfast is, um, well, I got 717 on there. I think it should sometime at 8 in August. Is the next one? You know when that is? You I don't know? know the date, but it'll be like the third Saturday. Third Saturday. That's what it's usually the third Saturday of the month. So I got the wrong date in there, but it is eight thirty. That's the right time. Uh, be in prayer for the Arnies. Um Haven't heard from them in the last couple of weeks. Um, for um, but uh, Gwen is uh, he is dealing with a lot going on in his in his life with his he's, he he's, he he doesn't he doesn't have COVID, so that's but he does have. Um, Julie's got to help me out. Sorry, I wasn't Gwaine. answering somebody's text. Um, aren't Queens. Uh, what is that? What is that, What kind of cancer is he? It's in his, it's in his, kidney, his abdomen. Kidneys and in the abdomen. And abdomen. Wow. All right. And so they're still monitoring him. They've do, they've doubled up on his chemotherapy. He's actually taking two different kinds of chemo medicine orally, uh, and that's affecting him some. So they're working on trying to m- mitigate the. Uh, the side effects, sores, mouth, and rash on his on his side, different things like that. He's working through that. So was his did his start in his kidney? Has it spread to his abdomen, or is it? Well, they, I'm going to say something wrong if I try to answer that question, but okay. I can't say it started for his kidneys and spread to his abdomen, or or vice versa, or if it's two different kinds of care, yeah. chemo, or cancer. Cancer. Yeah. That's what I, I I get confused, which is easy for me to do right now. They were going to take his kidney out, but then they found that his other, cancer is yes. worse. He's got too many nodules in his, in, his, in his kidney, and then there's some cancer that's attached to his spine or something like that. that no. What is that? That's what I thought of her. See, that's what I. I, I will. Sorry, Gwen, if you're watching. I apologize for misdiagnosing you. Uh, but we do need to pray for, for them no matter what. Whatever he's got, he needs prayer. So, please pray. Bud Crust is here again, so you're recovering from your. You know, we're, we're thankful that Bud is here. Um, I texted the whole class. I hope you got it. Uh, I don't know if you guys are on our text list or not, but I wanted to get you guys on there. But uh, uh, Carmen Johnson's mother passed away Friday, Thursday night, this past Thursday. Um, and uh, so. Um, so be in prayer for the family. So the uh, they're not going to have a service. It's going to be an act. There's going to be a visitation at Atkinson's. which I think is Tuesday. Yeah. It's Wednesday. Okay. So Atkinson's funeral home. There's a visitation, and there'll be a, a only a grave size service. But this size service will be in Belton. it will be buried in Belton. Um, more details come out and get all of that straightened out. But we'll make sure that everybody gets that communication. So. Uh, her mom had uh, Alzheimer's, and um, just uh, she was i think i think ninety four eighty nine uh, I don't remember she you know she lived a long time. Uh, so be in prayer for her, and um, I think that's all the that I wanted to mention is prayer, and so um and we've got uh, HBI registrations open for anybody that uh, wants to get involved in those classes. Uh, okay, Man's so uh, I'm sorry? Man's breakfast is the 21st. I'm sorry. breakfast is the 21st. Okay, Brian. Has- Okay, turn over to psalm chapter 58 <clears throat> we're going to read psalm 58 verses 1 to 11 now uh now, um you guys haven't been in our class well, what we do what we've been doing for for a long time now is we i pick a passage of of scripture and we read through it uh it doesn't have to be an entire chapter sometimes it is sometimes it's not in this case it is psalm 58 verses 1 to 11 what we do is I read through the psalm and then we allow the psalm, we allow the passage that we're reading, I should say, not psalm, but the passage that we're reading, we allow it to be a, um, uh, our prayer, our prayer list, our prayer points. So, but well, we pray the verses. We don't have to, but I start, I stop and allow anybody else that feels led to pray, to pray. Um, we're not praying all at the same time and not audibly anyway. Um, but then we can pray these verses, and then when everybody that has had the opportunity, sometimes we'll maybe three or four people that will pray, sometimes there's one or two, uh, and then I will close in prayer, finish up, and then uh, um, then we'll get into the lesson. So that's kind of what we're going to do. That's kind. We've been doing that for about two years now, maybe longer. I don't even remember, but it, but uh, it's it seems to be good because it kind of gives us. Some things to see that we can pray. We're praying God's word back to him. We're asking God to keep his word. Really, that's kind of what we're doing. So Psalm fifty eight, we're just gonna read verses one to eleven. It says Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do you judge uprightly, O ye sons of men? Yea, in heart ye work wickedness, you weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they're be born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They they are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as waters which run constantly or continuously. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrow, let them be as cut in pieces. As a snail, Lord, uh, which melteth, let every one of them pass away. Like the untimely birth of a woman, that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away, as with the whirlwind. Both living and in his wrath, the righteous shall rejoice <clears throat> when he seeth the vengeance, he shall when he seeth the vengeance, he shall <clears throat> excuse me. Wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous verily he is a god that judges in the earth okay let's pray father in heaven lord thank you for today thank you for uh the things that we have men- mentioned in prayer to be praying for. We specifically the lord we pray for the for uh, gwayne and betty arney and lord we lift up gwayne to you lord we ask that you would uh, uh speak righteousness in in uh in his care lord that you would continually put the right people in, in care of, of his situation lord that you would take care of them um, and uh, Lord, we pray uh, that uh, you would also take care of um, uh, Sharon Balkan in the same way. And uh, Lord, we pray for the the loss of Carmen's mother. Lord, I know that um, she's grieving at at this time. Lord, her family is, and all the planning that has to be taken care of. Lord, I just ask you, that you would bless them and encourage them and strengthen them. And Lord, we just ask that. Um, Lord, that you would help the, re- the righteous rejoice, as you say in verse 10. And Lord, that when they see uh, you dealing with, with the wicked, that, uh, that you would, uh, that the righteous would rejoice. And Father, we pray, uh, just last that before we continue on, Lord, we pray that uh, you would uh, open up our hearts. Lord, help this passage that we're going to study this morning in 2 Corinthians speak to us as well in Jesus' name. father thank you again for the opportunity to pray and lord i know there's many things that every one of us have uh, on our own personal prayer list lord that i just ask lord that you would always um uh, guide us and direct us in prayer guide us and direct us lord in the, re- in the answer to prayer thank you for taking care of us lord and um, lord as we see as we conclude verse 11 it says there's a reward for the righteous and uh, we just thank you father for that we look forward to seeing you Lord, not that we want rewards, but we want to spend time, eternity in heaven with you. We praise you and thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, so 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we're at this morning. We're going to finish up chapter 2. And I just want to kind of mention, you know, um, we're working our way through the, the things that we're learning in 2 Corinthians. Over the last couple of weeks, I'm not even sure how long, I think it was maybe four weeks ago we started 2 Corinthians. And uh, there's still a lot of, to go, but there's a lot so far that we have profited in our, in our, per, in our study, at least for me personally. Um, you know, I think that uh, I have learned a lot. I, I, that's why I like to study the Bible and then speak about it, because it kind of it kind is like a roundabout way of me communicating to you what the passage is telling me, and I'm, I'm using this to, to encourage myself as much as to try to encourage you. So we've examined the scripture, uh, we've discovered some powerful truths about what a transparent believer, no, I titled it the study of 2 Corinthians, I titled, titled it Be Transparent. And so, uh, the word transparent, I haven't really mentioned this before, but look over, flip you. Flip over to the last book of your Bible. Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 21, there's, there's, uh, there's only a couple places in the Bible where the word transparent is even communicated. And that's one time, in Revelation chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-one, and it says, "Revelation twenty-one, twenty-one says the, the twelve gates were twelve pearls; each several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it was as it were transparent glass." Now that's pure. pure that's very pure gold. That it's pure enough that it is, you can see through it. It's, that's what the word actually means. We're all familiar with the word transparent. We know basically what it means is to see see clearly, see through something, right? Like a like a piece of glass. Uh, so our life should be as a believer should allow the light of Christ to shine through ourselves. That's what we're really talking about. We're learning in what Peter is trying to or I'm sorry, what Paul is teaching the church at Corinth about being transparent in our life. And that's what this study that's why i chose this study. And also in Revelation 21, if you back up a couple other verses, uh, there's the concept of, of uh, uh, being clear. In the 18th, verse 18 it says, Building a wall, as it were, of jasper in the city with pure gold, like under, unto clear glass. So so that's the concept of being transparent. Now why do we want to be able to do to have transparency? Because God, at least for him, he can see us through, um, you know, in the... In 1 Corinthians, I think it's in verse 1 Corinthians 2-12 or 13, um, where Paul talks about that there's a sea of, that there's a frozen glass, a frozen sea, between heaven and us right now. He, that, that, that is transparent. It, you, it can be seen through, not we see through it ourselves. Because when we look at it, Paul says, that we look through the glass darkly. But what, what Jesus, or God looks through when he looks at it, he sees us. And he sees us for who we really are. And our life ought to be reflected of that. Um, there's one implication if one, in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 9. This is the implication of being transparent. He says, So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood. That word understood is, tr- is the same word as transparent. How shall it be known what is spoken for ye speak into, speak into the air? So the implication here is that that we ought to be able to communicate the truth of God to people who can understand. In fact, I would say the behavior of a Christian needs to be easily understood to all people. The behavior of a Christian ought to be understood by all people. Not just the church people, but even the lost people. I mean, they should see you and know, oh, you're a Christian. Well, that means something. It used to actually mean something for people that were Christians. Now it's a mockery. It's, it, people, oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you're a joke. Yeah. Whereas before, you're a Christian. Oh, that means something to those people. That, you know, like even, even what we would call our founding fathers, you know, like Benjamin Franklin and so on and so on. He really wasn't a believer necessarily, but it meant something. He quoted the Bible. He respected the Word of God. Other leaders did too. Today, not so much. No, you were quick with that. No, not at all. And so there's a there's an issue. We need to be transparent about what it means to be a Christian, so that the world can see Christ. That's what this is really all about. The behavior of Christian needs to be easily understood. And so we saw in verses uh, chapter one through in verse in chapter two verses one to five last week. Um, but really, we kind of all went back all the way halfway through verse or chapter one. And what we did was we we looked at and we we talked about seven different attitudes that a Christian should have. We covered seven different attitudes that a Christian should have. And um, those attitudes were loyalty, honesty, reliability, and I always have a hard time with this word being authentic. That's not right. Authentic, sorry. Be authentic, uh, be uh, sensitive, be pure, and be charitable. And then we followed that up. Uh, well, that was two weeks ago. Then last week, in, in verses five to eleven of Second Corinthians, we talked about the one. What I would number the number eight uh, attitude of a Christian would be forgiveness. All right, so we covered all of those things. But today we're going to close out chapter two in verses twelve to seventeen. It's really interesting how Paul transitions from what he's been talking about attitudes, forgiveness, and then he transitions into this, this, these last six verses, uh, it's a look at, really, kind of, he summarizes the last two lessons that we've talked about, about attitudes and about forgiveness, and it kind of summarizes all of that in verses 12 to 17. Uh, he, and that's going to lead us into chapter 3 next week. What he finishes with chapter 2, he leads into with chapter 3 next week. We won't talk anything about chapter 3 today, but I'll explain how it kind of connects as best I can. And so, uh, chapter 3, if you remember, as we outlined it. Chapter 3 guides us to how ministry should demonstrate the glory of God. That was what I gave as an outline. And chapter 3 is how the ministry, your, any ministry, uh, should demonstrate the glory of God. Well, that demonstration part is the transparency part. People can't see what's going on in the ministry if it's not transparent. And, uh, and so we've got to be able to see that. So let's, let's, let's read verses uh, 12 to 17 in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And then we'll we'll start breaking it down. Verse 12. Further, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and make manifest the Savior of his knowledge, by us in every place. I would say that's a transparency statement. He's, He's manifesting the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet Savior of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are a Savior of death unto death and to the other the Savior of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God but as of sincerity... Uh, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So he's kind of wrapping some things up here. And so what I want to start with is what I would say Paul's steps to remain strong in his faith. We all struggle sometimes. We all struggle with our faith. We all struggle with, um, is my faith still real? Is it still valid? Is it still uh, where I want it to be? So, so far... The Lord has really used the this, this study of we're looking at in this in this book uh, to encourage my own heart. I hope it's encouraging your heart because what it reminds me of in the, in this as we're studying so far, it reminds me that the ministry can be rewarding. Being involved in ministry can be very very rewarding, but at the same time, it's very very hard. Ministry is both rewarding and hard at the same time. And. So we're going to talk more about That's kind of what we're talking about, but we're going to talk more about that through the rest of this book. The encouragement that I'm talking about here has to do with just how we all, not just pastors, not just missionaries, but how all faithful servants, how do we maintain forward momentum in the face of adversity? How do we keep moving forward in the face of adversity? What, you know, adversity typically is almost like a roadblock, a wall. We, we smash ourselves up against this wall, and this adversity will not allow us to move forward. But you have to move forward. You have to keep moving forward. If you don't move forward, you're going to end up stalled. And You don't want to be stalled for God. So, um, so let me just kind of remind you of a chronology, what I would just kind of call a chronology of where we're at with Paul. Paul. Um, he first arrived in Corinth back in Acts chapter 18. We're not going to go back and read that. We, we read that a few weeks ago. But in Acts chapter 18, it was when he found himself in Corinth on his second missionary journey. He stayed there for 18 months. He planted the church. He discipled. He preached. He taught. He evangelized the community. He dealt. He dealt. For 18 months, he did a lot of things. He was a church planting missionary. That's what Paul did. I think everybody knows that. But he would travel from city to city, town to town, village to village, and plant works. Plan a church, get it started, train up somebody to take over the work, and then he'd move on. But he would continually keep communicating with those churches and encouraging them. And so, uh, at the end of his missionary trip, the second one, in Acts chapter 18, I think it's in verse 21, I don't even turn there, but uh, he finished up his second trip. He went back to his home church, back in Antioch. Uh, and, uh, and then... Uh, I mean, it's almost like chapter 20, 18, verse 21, and then verse 22, or whatever those 20s are. But anyway, I mean, one verse says he's back, and the next verse says he's left again. And that's when he starts his third missionary journey. We don't know how long he was in Antioch, in between his second journey and his third journey. But he went on his third journey. Um, and then he went to Ephesus. So that's when he spent most of his time in Ephesus. And this is all important because this, this paints a picture. This helps us keep track of what's going on because you got to know where Paul's at in his heart and in his mind and in his thinking and in his preaching and his teaching because of what is he, is, he is dealing with. And so um, he, went, he started the church at Ephesus and he was there for almost two years. That's Acts chapter 19, verse 10, if you want to make a note of that, if you want to turn back later on and study that out. He went to Ephesus. He spent almost two and a half years there. While he was there, he was in constant contact with this church at Corinth. This is what I later on I'll refer to this as being Paul's multitasking. Ministry is a multitasking requirement. You've got to be able to multitask in ministry. If you try not to multitask uh, in ministry, now I'm going to be careful how I say this. I don't. I'm not driving you to work, but or driving you towards work, but. I do know that your pastor, Brian, he multitasks Mm -hmm. all the time. I'm like, Brian, do you need to slow down? Brian, you're involved in too many. I'm I'm thinking this. I don't tell him this. (laughs) I, I try sometimes to influence him to slow down, to let some things go, let somebody else take care of that. But he is a multitasker because he is always involved in ministry. He's always going. That's where Paul was at. That's what Paul was doing. He was planting a church in Ephesus, and he was counseling the church in Corinth at the same time. So that's why we got all these letters that we talked about uh, with, with, with uh, uh, Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Not only that, but he was constantly in contact in the church, not writing and sending them, but he also sent men. He would send somebody on a mission trip, go check out what's going on in Corinth, make sure they understand what I'm saying in this letter, and so on and so forth. Remind them of what they had been taught. He sent Apollos, he sent Aquila, he sent Titus, he sent Timothy, and he sent Silas. Those are just a few of the names. That we know of, that he sent back to Corinth, said, "Hey Corinth, you're kind of getting out of line. Hey Corinth, you you forgot what Paul taught. Hey, let me show you what Paul said on that mission, on that last message, and so on." That they went back to, to con- he's constantly counseling the church at Corinth. He wrote at least four letters after he left Corinth at the end of his so so sometime at the end of his second his second missionary journey when he went home, and then he spent all this time in Ephesus and his third time. He wrote four letters. We talked about those four letters before. He wrote book we call the, the, um, uh, the, the lost letter, which was the first one, the long letter, which is 1 Corinthians, the, lam- the lamented letter, the one that he writes, uh, that it kind of takes him the task, and then the, la- the last letter, which is 2 Corinthians, is the one we're studying right now. So after writing that, la- that lamented letter, he dispatched that letter with Titus. He said, here, take this letter. This is going to be painful. But take this letter and read it to the church and tell them what I'm talking about. That's the lamented letter. He sent that letter with Titus to Corinth, and then he had to wait for a return of the response. And so at that point in time, he decided that what he's going to do is he's going to keep going. He's going to keep moving forward in ministry. So not only did was he preaching and teaching at Ephesus and counseling at Corinth, he said, you know what? I'm going to Troas. I'm going to preach in Troas. And that's what happened in verse 12. Verse 12 says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas, and I pondered over that and pondered over it for, for I can't remember how long, uh, but why did he go to Troas? What was, what was the necessity for him to go to Troas at this point in time? But that's, the, that's what's important here. He, he was constantly motivated to move in ministry. Whatever God would allow him to do, he was going to do. So in verses 14 to 17, it seems to, to, to point us to what to do to regain encouragement, and that's what we're—that's really what we're going to talk about the rest of. The How do you regain encouragement? You know, everybody gets discouraged in ministry. If you don't get discouraged in ministry, you're probably not doing it right. Now that sounds weird, but if I mean, if everything's just going smooth as silk, there's something wrong here. That's uh, you're playing to the fiddle. You're playing the fiddle to the wrong people. You're not seeking what God wants you. Nobody likes to do what God wants him to do all the time. Some people, they just, they're obstinate, and they say, I don't care what God says, I'm doing my own thing. And when you run up against that and you're trying to minister, you're going to have obstacles. And so, okay, so verse 12 and 13 is about overcoming difficulty in ministry. So let's read 13 as well. I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother but taking my leave of them I went to Macedonia okay so he was in Troas he's looking for Titus and he's preaching the, the word there and then he's like this ain't happening the way I expected I'm going to keep on, I'm just going to keep pushing I'm going to go to Macedonia and minister there so we'll talk about that in verse 12 Paul needs to keep moving so he goes to Troas and the result of his trip going to Troas was he was balancing uh, The reason he went is he was trying to balance everything he was doing in Ephesus, and he was trying to manage the sin and the doctrinal disregard at Corinth. But it was wearing him out. He was getting tired. He was getting tired. Uh, Now, who can keep up with all that goes on in the church anyway? Think about it. I mean, you might not know everything that goes on. You probably don't know everything that goes on in this church. There's a lot of things that happen in this church, and our pastor has to keep on top of everything and I know he's got a pastoral team and we try to help him out and we do probably just an adequate job of helping him out but he is he has got his eyes and his heart and his mind and his soul on everything that goes on in this church whether it's the church whether it's the families in the church whether it's the church in the community whether it's the whatever it is the entirety of this church weighs heavily on our pastor and Peter I'm sorry Paul, at this time, and where he's at right now in this chapter, he, is, he, not, he doesn't have just one church. He's got this church, uh, the church at Ephesus. He's got the church at Corinth. The church at Ephesus was doing great. They, were, they were, he, had to, he had to correct a few things, but they, they tracked well. church at Corinth, he had to write four letters to straighten their act out, and he had to make a visit to get them straightened out, and he still never really got them straightened out. And so, and then he's got the church. It, he goes to Troas, and uh, it's an interesting thing uh, that he goes to Troas. So one of the one of the things about Paul's life that we can learn to apply in ours is that God continues to have him on mission, and God wants you to be on mission all the time, no matter what you're, no matter what that means in your life. I'm not saying be a missionary, be a church planner, be a pastor, but be in mission. Right, that's one of the discipleship establishment clauses, I think. Establish our disciple in the in the work of the ministry? Why do we do that? Because of things like this. And so, one thing about Paul's life that we can learn to apply to ours is that he continues to have him, that God continues to have him on mission. And that's why we all need to respond to the call that Paul is responding to here in verse 12. He, now, it doesn't say that there's necessarily a call in verse 12, but he says, I came, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. That door, he's really talking about a call. He's being called. Actually, Troas is more important than that. Troas represents something very important to Paul, and it ought to represent something very important to you as well. And I think this is the coolest thing about this whole passage here, is this, this concept. Because Troas, when you read the word Troas, it ought to take you back. In fact, turn over to Romans. Or, or, I'm sorry, Acts chapter sixteen. What's going? When you see Troas, it ought to take you back in thought to Acts chapter sixteen, starting in verse six, because this is a cool thing that happened here. In verse sixteen, chapter chapter sixteen, verse six. Now, when they had gone throughout Pergia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia after they were come to Mysia they essayed to go to Bithynia but the spirit suffered them not and they passing by Mysia came down to Troas same city that Paul is at in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 chapter 2 verse 12 verse 9 of Acts 16 and a vision appeared to Paul in the night there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Verse 10 says, After he had seen the vision, immediately we uh, endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord has called us to preach the gospel unto them. Okay, so when you think the word troaz, I personally, I don't know about you, but I personally think about what we refer to as the Macedonian call. The Macedonian call. I think you have a blank in your notes for that if you want to put it in there. So it should take us back to that concept, that, that call. When Paul received a call uh, through a vision to go to Macedonia, and we know that this was a good answer, that he went to Macedonia, because twice we already read that the Holy Spirit stopped them from where he was wanting to go. But when he said, okay, we're going to go to Macedonia, the Holy Spirit didn't stand in their way. They just went to Macedonia. Because that's where God wanted them to be. That's the call. He responded to a call. So this call is actually an invitation to an unsurpassed blessing. When God calls you to serve someplace, He is is inviting you to an uh, unsurpassed blessing. Unfortunately, at the same time, it is also an invitation to some discouragement as well. That's just the ministry. That's two sides of the ministry coin. There's blessing on one side... And sometimes there's distraction and disappointment and struggles on the other side. Paul understood that. We should all understand that as well. Everybody who serves understands the privilege of serving. I I think that's true for anybody. Everybody understands that that there's a privilege to serving the living God. And the blessing of this calling, and they probably have had, anybody that's been involved in ministry, just think about this for just a minute, probably have had your heart broken more than once. (laughs) because of something that became an obstacle in your ministry whatever that ministry might be um you know okay let me just use something really really simple you 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 mow the grass and then the lawnmower breaks that's disappointing because you had you need to get the work done right that's that's just one thing uh prayer uh, the uh, the jail and we'll let you in the jail now that's disappointing that's heartbreaking why because you ministered there That's heartbreaking you can't get in there right now that doesn't mean that you're not going to try to go back whenever they look soon as they say you can go you're there okay that's where we all need to be um so there are those times when we're disheartened and downcast maybe even getting to the point of giving up the ministry but the thing about paul is paul never broke and paul never fled he always was there that means for us that what he did gives us great guidance on to keep a balance in things. Yes, ministry is going to be tough, struggle. And you know, if, you're, if you've been involved, especially in any kind of leadership level in ministry, some people bail. It's just what happens. Some people just quit. They say, I can't keep doing this anymore. Now, maybe they have a valid reason, you know, like they moved. Okay, you know, if they moved, then fine, they can't keep ministry. You know, but I mean, like I can tell you right now, you probably have heard it a hundred thousand times, maybe not a hundred thousand, but at least a hundred times in the last year that the children's ministry needs help. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there were men in there and women in there that were doing the work, that were called to ministry, that for some reason they got worn out, they got burnt out, they got tired out, and they quit. I'm not speaking against that, against them in particular. I'm just saying that's what happens. And it's disappointing. And so... You know what? We need to Paul Paul had experienced this thing and he continued to move forward. Continued to move forward. That's an important part of this whole lesson is that we need to continue to move forward. And so many times in the ministry, uh, that's what happens. People quit. Their family calls it quits. They throw in the towel, they return to where they call home and they say, I'm done. And and I don't know if you guys all know everything that Julie and I have gone through over the years of ministry, not just as this church, but things that we've tried to do, things that we were doing, and the door got closed and things happened. And it was so easy. It's like, well, let's just throw in the towel. I'm done. I'm just going to go find a job and I'm going to work and I'm going to, you know, just re engage life. And I can't do that. I couldn't do that. I, I wanted to. We talked about it a lot. It's like, well, Maybe this isn't what God wants you to do. Maybe God just wants you to be a janitor at a school or something, whatever. It's just some sort of, some sort of a job. i like, but that's not what I believe that God has called me to do. God called me. I had a Macedonian call. He called me. I can't not minister. I have to keep moving forward, even in the face of a difficulty. So we've detailed the, the heartache that Paul has had all, over the last several weeks and we're all aware of the suffering that he endured, not just in Corinth, but practically everywhere he went. And then he says in verses twelve and thirteen, he's about to take a make a very he's about to make a very important step. He knows that serving the living God is a sacred honor, and because the call that he had in Macedonia is also an invitation to unequal privilege, un, 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 unspeakably good privilege, he needs to confirm his answer. Did I answer the call correctly? I believe that the significance of Troas in him when he went back to Troas, he started his second missionary journey um, in Acts, and, he, and then uh, uh, he planned to visit the. That was his plan, right? His plan was to visit the churches. I'm going to go visit all the churches that I started in Acts, in my first mission journey. But God closed the door, verse six, six of chapter sixteen. Um, he prevented the Holy Spirit prevented him going to Asia. In verse eight, uh, he ended up going to, to Troas and their vision was shown. So we were, we read all of that, but just as a reminder. So it's interesting to note that that uh, they were not just there overnight. I mean, I'm sorry. They were just there overnight. Basically, they got to Troas. They found a place to bed down. He went to sleep. He had the vision. He woke up. Let's go. We're heading to Macedonia. God is confirmed. I mean, it was that quick, okay? This is an important note here, and I'll explain it in a minute. Um, but there was a door open, it says in verse 12, verse 13. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach to Christ's gospel, a door was opened unto me of the Lord. So Paul has counseled us all on, on doors, about recognizing the door and entering through the door and so on. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes, With all praying also for us that God would open us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Paul, was bond, he was in bonds. He was, he was bound up to the commitment to preach the gospel, to, to, to teach the mysteries of Christ. And I'm confident that while he established the church at Ephesus and counseled the church at Corinth, he was also seeking other opportunities to continue to share the gospel. He said, well, you know what? There's a place I haven't been. I was there for one night in Troas. Church didn't get started. I'm going back to Troas. I'm going to plant a church. While I'm waiting on Titus about Corinth, I'm going to keep pressing forward and I'm going to do something that I haven't that I should have done a long time ago. I'm going to go to Troas and I'm going to plant a church. And I think that's what he did. He, went, he preached to people and I believe the church was established there. Now this is why this idea of preaching, going places and preaching, you know, Brian's taking a team to Boston because a church, a group of people felt like Boston would be a great place to have a church right in the middle of college town. I don't know what's that's in the name of the town, but in the suburb, we're all like Harvard, and what are all the big colleges in Boston? All those big, fancy universities, you know, the ones that cost thousands of dollars a day? That's where they're planning the church. They're trying to reach that that group of people. So they're planning a the church there, and that's why Brian wants to go. He wants to go help them. Um, but I want to mention this. We have a van... Have, have, do you guys know about... I wish Jeremy was here today because he could a whole lot better than I did. So we're starting what we would call outreach evangelism teams. You guys heard about those at all? Okay, well, let me give you a real brief thing. Basically, you know, I want to start this here in this class, too. So if you're in real life class, you're automatically part of the team. So here's here's how it works. So this is how it works with the pastors, because all the pastors are on the team as well. So I have a group of people that I am praying that God will allow me to have the influence with the gospel in their life. Most of these people are lost. Uh, they know that I'm a pastor. They know that Julie's a pastor's wife. Uh, I, I see them on average three times a week. This is the place I go to, to exercise, to get my count, my, my physical exercise for, for my, my cancer treatment. And so I've been praying that God will give us an opportunity To share the gospel. And I've had snippets of opportunities because my team, the pastors, they pray for the people that I'm ministering to by name. And so what I want to start doing is I want... So you all have influence with somebody. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe it's neighbors. Maybe it's, I don't know, somebody that you're connected with in some way. So if you've been praying for those people already, I would like for you next week, we'll start this next week, share with the class who you're praying for. We'll, we'll clean off a little bit of extra time in the morning at the beginning of class uh, And I'll put them what I'll do is on our handouts I'll start putting the names of people you're praying for on the backside So that you guys can pray for for example, the people that I'm paying for in particular um, is uh, the, Well, I'll just, I just I don't want to, at this point give you the name, but I will give you the names and I won't record this Next week until we're ready to start class But if you're watching the video you want to be a part of this just send me or Julie an email with those names, and we'll add those to the list. Uh, but we're going to pray that this the rest of this year that God would give us a door of utterance with the people that we're trying to minister to. If 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 it's your your family, praise the Lord. If it's if it's somebody that you just know because of a relationship that you have with whatever, uh, I would use you as an example. The guys that you hang out with showing cars. Okay, so maybe you have a couple of people within that group that you're like, I really want to, I really want to witness this guy. I need to pray for him, so I want to pray for him too. I want to pray for you to have the boldness to find the door for that person. So you just give me that guy's name. We'll be praying for him. So that's what our task as a as a, as a team is to be praying for those people. Right. If you don't have anybody right now, that's okay. Don't feel bad. We'll pray that God will provide somebody for you to. Pray about speaking to. That's kind of how we're going to do this, and that's something that we've been doing. Um, I know the pastoral team does it. Uh, I think Pat Lee has a team, and they've actually had some successes already. Uh, um, this kind of falls under under uh, evangelism under Jeremy. That's why I was just saying he was here. But in any way, I'm, I'm using up all the rest of the class time. But the point is, I want us to start doing this. So be so just. Think about that, and let's put that together as a team, and we'll all team up on them through prayer that God would open the door. You have a door of utterance that you can speak to them. Okay, so that's that's the door that Paul taught. He said, "Hey, there's a door open for me to go back to Troas. I'm going to go to Troas. And I'm going to preach the gospel there." And I do believe a church got got established uh, in Troas. Now we don't have a letter to the Troanians or anything like that. I don't know if that's what they were even called. But the point is, is that Paul went to a lot of places and he planted a lot of churches over the three missionary journeys that he went through. He plan- he was in a lot of different places. We don't have letters of communication to those churches like Derby and Lystra and Iconium and places like that. We know that he went and we know that he planted churches there, but we just we don't know what he said to them. We don't know what he taught. Uh, that's okay. Um, but this is how we're going to handle it. I'm confident that he established his church. And Paul's always telling us what? He's telling us to be ready. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having engineers. So he says, be ready. He says, your preaching, uh, your witnessing has a purpose. And In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. When we preach... Warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that they are, that they may present every man, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's why we need to do this, so we can present them to Christ. So you cannot truly preach. This is an interesting thing. I never really thought about this verse. Everybody's familiar with Romans chapter 10, verse 15. It says, uh, how shall they preach except they be sent? we, We always think about missionaries, how can they preach? Here's the thing, how can you preach? unless you be sent but you need to be sent someplace as well I'm not saying you have to go across the ocean you have to go to Antarctica you have to go to China you have to go to L- I'm not saying you can if that's where God's leading you but maybe God is leading you to this group of people that I'm just saying that we should be praying for and so um, how can you how can they preach except they be sent so that door by the way it's an interesting thing as well who is the door in the Bible Jesus right he says in John 16 verse 7 that he is the door to the sheep the door to the lost the door to people he says in John chapter 16 verse 9 that he is the door to salvation you know what that means that Jesus Christ he is the one who's going to open whatever door you need for him to open and so I think that Paul went to Troas for two reasons first to stay involved in ministry while waiting on Titus. He just said, I'm not going to just sit on my, my rump and wait for Titus to come back to, to Ephesus. I sent him out of Ephesus, I sent him to Corinth, but now I, I don't know how he did it, but I'm probably sure that he said, go, take this letter, get a response, bring it to me, you'll find me in Troas. Because he already thought he was going. He like, well now Titus is gone, what should I do? I don't think it was that. I think it was like, I'm sending Titus, so I'm going to go here. And he said, Titus, find me in Troyes. Unfortunately, Titus didn't find him there. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The second thing that I think about him going to Troyes is I believe he went back to refresh his call on his life. Sometimes, you know, we're all this way. Sometimes we have to re-examine. Did I really get the call that I think I got? Did I really, am I really where God wants me to be? And there's nothing wrong with that. But you know know how you get that answer? Go back to where God called you to that spot. Go back to that place where God called you to that spot and say, God, I thought you said go here. I even remember myself. I remember the verses that God gave me to teach and to preach. I remember them like they would, like it was yesterday. And I sometimes refer back to those passages to remind myself, this is why I do what I do. This is why I can't stop doing what I do because God gave me that verse. In his word, he said, do this. And I can't not do it. I have to go back. To the call to refresh my energy, this is why I'm going to do what I do, and I hope that this is encouragement to you, that you will go back, every one of us has been called at some point, some place uh, maybe, maybe you're there where God calls you to, maybe you're not, I don't know but this is how Paul re- re-energized himself, because he went back to Troas am I doing what God wanted me to do, and that's his answer says, yes I am, so I'm going to keep pressing forward and so, we have... He shifts gears a little bit. Let me just make this one last statement. When ministry gets hard, just keep ministering. Don't bail out. Just keep ministering. That's what Paul did. He just kept ministering. And then he says in verses 14 to 17, and we'll try to finish up in the next three or four minutes. Verse 14, he says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and make manifest the Savior of His knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God His sweet Savior of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the Savior of death, unto death, and to the other the Savior of life, unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but of sincerity, but as as of God in the sight of God, we speak, speak we in Christ. Okay, so, okay, he says, okay, Titus hadn't come yet. He, he hasn't come in Macedonia. I've, I've got the work done here. I'm going to, or in Titus, I'm going to go on down to Macedonia, which he did at the end of verse 13 and so Titus he saw Titus in Macedonia that's where he met up with Titus he finally connects with him in Macedonia and that was a big deal because Paul could finally be at ease with the report that Titus gave him he gave him a good report verse 14 he says thanks be to God and Paul knew that it was God's credit that all things work together for good who love him remember that passage Romans 8.28 all things work together for good to him that love him um, and he was overjoyed. He was thankful. He was overjoyed that God would unite him with Titus. But more important, he was overjoyed that the church had repented. And we've talked about all of that. The church repented, uh, prompting him to write the sec- the, this letter that we call Second Corinthians. So after he sent Titus, Titus came back with a good report. Hey, they they repented. They changed their behavior. They they, they respect everything you said. They're answering the, the they're responding to your teaching, and that so that made him happy. Paul thanks God for three things. This is where we can thank God as well. First, for the privilege of being led by the living God. You know, it's, it's, it's a privilege for all of us to, to be able to be that close to God that He is leading us wherever we need to go. And sometimes I don't think that we, we recognize just how important that is, that, that you're serving. You're not just serving a God. You're not just serving a pastor. You're not serving a mission board. You're serving the living God, the creator God, the the sustainer of life, the giver of life, the giver of all things, creator. That's who you're serving. That's an awesome thing, and Paul knew that. Secondly, Paul declares that Christ caused us to triumph, which is an interesting word. Because the word triumph, it doesn't just mean victory. It doesn't mean you won, you triumphed over. That's not what it means. It's an interesting word. Triumph actually means to rejoice in victory. And in fact, uh, the Romans actually used the word triumph when, the, when, the, when the, 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 the winner of the battle would march into the city. He, what would go before him was what we would call the spoils of victory. And they would lead all the spoils of victory. This is the triumphal entry. The, tri, the triumphal entry is a parade of victory. And the one who's going to lead that prayer to victory for us is Christ. Christ caused us to have the triumph. uh, To free the souls of people through ministry of what Paul will get up to and uh, we'll talk about that in chapter 5 when we get there. He used that phrase, the ministry of reconciliation. That's the triumph that we're going to have. And the third thing uh, that Paul speaks about in verse 14 to make manifest the Savior of His knowledge. So Paul gives thanks to God because Christ became a becomes a sweet aromatic fra- fragrance to to us all, becoming an influence in the world. So in that triumphal entry, or when when the victory when the victor would come in, there would be flowers all over the place, and you know flowers provide a fragrance. So there's a fragrant triumphal smell that comes from Christ as well. And the word savor is an odor, usually for, from an acceptable sacrifice. In John chapter 12, verse 3, Mary, remember when Mary, just before Christ was crucified, Mary took a, a pound of ointment of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped her his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Yeah. That odor, that's a, that's a savor. That's a smell of, of who Christ is in your life. You ought to smell good to you. And I don't know a whole lot about animals, but I do know that... that um, Animals uh, know their their offspring because of their smell. They just know it, and they will reject. Huh? Horses have it. Horses, cows, dogs, cats. I don't know about birds. I don't do birds have a smell? Do birds smell anything? I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) they have a beak, but do they have a nose? Anyway, anyway. (laughs) wasting time. Okay, verses fifteen and sixteen, though. more sweet and sour smells he talks about look at look at the end of verse 14 real quick notice that he says by us in verse 14 uh, by uh, the savior of his knowledge by us in every place so not only is Christ an influence in the world but we as well should automatically aromat- aromatically be a fragrance to the world which smells like Christ you should smell like Christ how does Christ smell? He smells aromatic. It is a sweet smell. Christ smells good. And we need to provide the smell to people. They can smell Christ. They can follow with the, the smell of Christ. that's kind of weird thinking about, but, but that's what Paul's kind of referring to with this, this smell that he's talking about here. Um, now, most likely and unfortunate, this is what happens in the world. This is what happens from Christians in the world. The stench of sin the stench of sin such as the man in chapter in 1 Corinthians the, the one who was in adulterous relationship he stunk up the church he stunk up the city the city thought that what he was doing was worse than anything that the city was doing that's how bad he smelled and that's how bad he made the church smell he got cleaned, though, remember what he confessed his sin, that's what Paul talks about in chapter 2, we looked at that forgiveness last week he, 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 uh, he mentioned all of that he repented, and He was cleansed. And notice, First well, John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and what? Cleanse us from all the righteousness. He washes off the stench, and He puts on His blood on you. He cleanses you with His blood, and now you smell like Christ. That's what should happen. But you know what we do? We rub off the, the blood, and we return back to our own smell. So we then, we got we to maintain the correct smell. In verse 17, and I'll wrap it up with this, uh, we had a couple of comments at the end, but let me wrap up verse 17. We must speak Christ, for as we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as our sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, we speak in, speak we in Christ. So one of the very reasons that we adhere to the King James Bible is because of the corruption of doctrine found in other Bibles. Other Bibles stink. I mean, when you put them in this context anyway. We don't have time to do a smell test on all of them but there's one thing I do when teaching manuscript evidence in HBI and on D2 and on Wednesday nights is I go through a comparison of why this verse in King James, why they say what they say is different and how bad it smells. When you find one verse it doesn't even actually exist in other Bibles. Yeah. That it, that it, does, it does show up in the King, in King James. Anyway, we are not to corrupt the word where the word corrupt is only, this is the only time the word corrupt is used in this passage, and it means to adulterate. To corrupt means to adulterate for personal gain. And one of the things you probably have heard me say over and over again regarding why we do Bibles and why the church is responsible for doing Bibles is because the, the print houses print Bibles for profit. They're for personal gain. And they'll do over and over and over again. New Bibles, just, you know, different Bibles, different study knives, different leather, different covers, and so on and so forth. And and all they're doing is trying to profit. We give away the King James Bible for free because God needs a profit, not us. Our goal has always been to present the Word in its sincerity, meaning, purity, clearness, and so on, that it be unmingled honesty and simplicity of our Word spoken and, and written in the sight of God. That's. That's what we should... Our whole ministry should be like that. Not just about the Word. So let me ask you a couple of questions as a thing to think about. How does the attitude of a Christian promote the triumph of Christ? Where we are daily... Where we're daily found, right? In, 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 in the places that we're at. Where are you at in, in life every week? What are you doing? Who are you in, hanging around with that you should be able to promote the triumph of Christ? Does our attitudes come across as a sweet smell? unto God, or do we smell like death unto death? I hope not. Paul's attitude toward the church matched the list of attitudes that we found, that we've discussed. So we should incorporate those attitudes in our life daily. And then the last thing I'll just make a point of this. What call are you answering right now? Where is your Troas? Everybody has a Troas. If they, if you don't have a Troas, then that's this prayer. Where do I find my Troas? Now what I mean by that is where do you where can you go back and say, this is where God called me to do this? Not that you have to go serve throw ass. but where were you? I remember when God called me uh, to serve as a missionary. I didn't think I was ever going to be a missionary. I never went to, I, did, I never, uh, you know, some people like, I'm five years old, I surrendered to the mission field. I, I don't know how that happens, but praise the Lord. It didn't happen to me, but I remember when I surrendered to God to go to the mission field. I just remember that. So I try to go back to those things. That's those verses I was talking about and confirming what I was doing at the moment. And so I go back to that. I think in my heart, in my mind, I go back sometimes and say, This is why I'm still doing what I'm doing. This is why I can't stop doing what I'm doing. Where's your Troas? I hope you have one. Last thing is, are you going to your Troas? Are you going through your doors as often as you can keep your attitudes aligned with Christ? those are the things that we've looked at over the last few weeks so those are the first two verses, that's two chapters we've, we've covered a lot of material just in two chapters uh, and I kind of rushed through the last couple of points there that I've had in this chapter but let's pray, we'll be done and uh, let's see what's going on Sunday, regular oh we have Doug Pearson this morning preaching in the main service I don't know if Bethany's going to be here or not, I hope so um, I was kind of actually hoping they'd be in our class today but they bailed on us so, that's okay. No, seriously, they are, he's going to be preaching in the main service. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the, the uh, passage from uh, 2 Corinthians, Lord, that Paul wrote that gave us much encouragement and to think about the things that, uh, uh, that uh, apply in his life that are parallel in our own life. We ask, Father, for your guidance, for your direction, for your wisdom. Help us to be the person you want us to be in every aspect of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've gone through my steps and i found this.